can't overcome the light. Amen. Now, when, when we talk about both of those being applicable, we understand that before light came into being, there was darkness. But the minute that light came into being, darkness was defeated and could not overcome the light. So John's painting a picture here of creation, but he's also painting a picture of what it is like when Jesus Christ comes into the life of a newborn Christian. One who was once in darkness has now become enlightened or made to be in the light. Amen. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that believeth in me shall not walk in darkness. Amen. So it's important for us to understand the dynamics here of what John came to bear witness to. Because we're still talking about light, but we're transitioning from talking about the word or God or Christ who we understand is the word. Now we're talking about John who came to bear witness of the light. John's coming was foretold in scripture and John's coming was necessary so that when he bore witness of the light, others who believed in John would believe in the light. Amen? So we start, and I wanted to start with a, a, a couple notes here. I'm going to flip my notes back over here. <clears throat> wanted to start with just a couple notes here to begin today. Well, if I can find where I'm at, I will do it. There we go. Ha ha. Got it. Uh, John was also a man sent from God. This is an important part of what we need to talk about is John was also sent from God. Amen? Uh, scripture is very clear that John was sent by God as a witness. Amen? John says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Amen. If you turn the same chapter of your Bible over to, uh, let's see, verse 19 of chapter 1. It says this, and this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed. And did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him again, "Why? Uh, then, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered them, no. So they asked him again, who are you? And he said this, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah has said. Now, John is equating himself to the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I have a quick note that I want to read on this section of Scripture. <clears throat> Where'd it go? There it is. Now, when we talk about John being a witness, what we also have to understand is that when, who is John? Does anybody remember who John is? John isn't a random person in the story of the Bible, first of all, okay? He's just not some stranger to Christ either, okay? Let's, let's get this out of our mind that John and Jesus didn't know each other or something, okay? 
They're cousins. John the Baptist's mother is Elizabeth, Mary's sister. Remember when Mary just found out that she was going to be with child and she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth? And upon hearing Mary's salutation, John the Baptist in Elizabeth's belly leaped for joy. Remember that? And then we have the greatest, you know, one of the greatest parts of Scripture where Elizabeth gives her discourse, and it's one of the most beautiful things you can read in Scripture. And then Mary quotes those famous words that he who is mighty has done unto me a mighty thing. Wow. Some of the great, they weren't strangers. They knew each other. John was sent by God to bear witness of the light. Amen? I want to talk about this just for a moment. If you would, flip over to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. I totally forgot the offering. Make sure I remember that before I close, okay? <clears throat> John chapter 5. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees about his witness, okay? Jesus is talking to the Pharisees about his witness, and he's saying, if I witness of myself, starting in verse 31, so John 5, 31, let's get some context about what it is that witnesses about Jesus Christ. And you'll notice that Jesus himself equates John as one of the witnesses to who he is as God in the flesh. Amen? Amen. Now watch this. John chapter 5, starting at verse 31, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony he has, uh, here he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth, not that the testimony I received from man, not that I received testimony from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that I have, the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me. So we see in the beginning of this, John is a witness for Jesus. Let's get some context here of the, what, what John says when he quotes from Isaiah, okay? But before we do that, I want you to note that every single gospel, every one of them quotes this same quote. So it's very important for you to understand this was part of God's plan that John come. And every one of the gospel writers understood the importance of who John the Baptist was and his testimony of who Jesus was. Amen? If you go to Mark chapter 1, you'll find the same exact quote. If you go to Matthew chapter 3, you will find the same exact quote. If you go to Luke chapter 3, you will hear John quoting the same thing. I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. 
And John, the writer of this gospel, has got to be thinking in his mind while he's hearing this. And as he's writing it, remembering what he saw of Christ, understanding that what Isaiah said was absolutely true. Amen? Let's go to Isaiah 40, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it out of the King's English, okay? The, the old often authorized version. You know, me and Kyle know that the ESV is the new authorized version, you know. We're just telling you, keeping you up to date. Chapter 40, starting at verse 1, he says, Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem. Cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned for she hath received the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight the desert, uh, the desert a highway for our God. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places made plain. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord God has spoken. Now John came to bear witness of the light. And when they asked him, they said, hey, are you the Christ? He said, no, I'm not the Christ. He said, okay, well, are you Elijah? And he said, no, I'm not Elijah. Now, do you understand this is what they were talking about first of all. And John saying he wasn't Elijah. And then he says, are you a prophet? And he said, no, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And, and somebody goes, well, Jesus said that John was a prophet. No, Jesus said he was greater than any prophet. John is the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Now, I want to read the rest of this chapter for you so you can see that this is absolutely extolling the glory of God and the Messiah that's to come, okay? The voice said, cry, and he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, all, good, uh, all, all the goodliness thereof is the flower of the field. The grass withereth and the flower fadeth because the spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. And the grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of God, the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion, brighten, uh, O Zion, that brightest good tidings, get thee up in the high mountain, O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings. Lift up thy voice with strength, lift up, do not be afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, behold your God, behold the Lord God will come with strong hand. With his arm shall rule him, uh, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, his work before him. He shall feed the flock like a shepherd, and he shall gather the lambs with his arms, and carry them in as in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are young. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out the heaven with the span of his hand? And, com and comprehended the dust of the earth in measure and weighed the mountains in the scales and the hills 
in the balance. Who have, who have directed the spirit of the Lord or be, being his counselor have taught him? With him took he counsel. With whom did he take counsel? And who instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed to him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are as a drop of, in a bucket and are counted as small dust of the balance. But he taketh up the isles and every very little thing. The Le and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn nor the beasts thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are nothing, and they are counted to him as less than nothing and vanity. To whom then shall ye liken God, or what likeness will you compare him to? His workman, the workmanship of metal, a graven image, and the goldsmith spreadeth over it with gold and cast silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no ob uh, what? Yeah. oblation, chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeth unto him a cunning workman to prepare graven images that shall not be moved. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Had it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he that setteth upon the circle of the earth. And the inhabitants thereof are like grasshoppers, the stretching out of the heavens as a curtain, and the spreading out of them as a tent to dwell in. The, bright, the, bringing, the bringeth of the princes to nothing, and the maketh the judgments and the judges of the earth as vanity. Ye shall not be planted, ye, yea, they shall not be sown, yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. He shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away. To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high. Behold, who hath created things, and bringeth out their hosts by numbers. He calleth them all by name, by the greatness of his might, for he is strong in power. Not one faileth. How sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. How hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is he weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases their strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall be utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Are you telling me that when John the Baptist is saying, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness, that the Israelites who knew the scriptures did not think of this chapter in Isaiah are you telling me that as John the Baptist looked and said behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world that they aren't thinking of what John said about being a voice crying in the wilderness or how about John the Apostle as he's pinning these words as an old man 
remembering all the great things that he saw Christ do and understanding as he wrote John the Baptist's words all over again, understanding that he saw the I am face to face, that he held him and touched him and that's why later on in this very chapter that we're reading in John, he says, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father. Amen? John is absolutely declaring Jesus' deity. Not just John the Apostle, but John the Baptist. His whole role was to come and be the voice and his ministry, he was older than Jesus. He was six months older than Jesus. So therefore, he probably started his ministry before Jesus did. And we see that in Scripture, that he was already ministering, already baptizing. Amen. And we see him baptizing and bringing people to repentance. Amen. If you go to Mark, uh, if you go to Mark 1, Matthew 3, Luke 3, you're going to see that John the Baptist was proclaiming repentance, baptism for the forgiveness of sin. Amen. And so this struck a nerve with those people who understood the scriptures. They said, are you the Messiah then? And he said, no, I'm not the Messiah. Well, you're, you're Isaiah. No, I'm not Isaiah. Now, Jesus called him Isaiah, right? But Jesus was speaking in a language so they can understand. He, he called him Isaiah, but then he said he was greater than any prophet. He said... Yea, what did you go in the wilderness to seek a prophet? I tell you that John was greater than a prophet. Amen? <laughs> Isaiah 40 is surely in John's mind as he's given the purpose of writing this gospel in the beginning prologue which exalts Jesus' deity from the very beginning of it to the end of it. It is exalting Jesus as the Son of God. And here we have in the midst of the prologue a testimony about John the Baptist. This tells you how important John the Baptist's coming or his witness was. Amen? Now I want to I reiterate that we all have in our own life an obligation now that we have seen the Lamb. Now that we know Christ, we're obligated to be witnesses for him. He said, he said, go into all the world, right? Matthew 28, right? You know, in Acts, he said, and I will give you power so that you will be my witnesses. Amen. Our witness it's going to be the witness of the apostles. Notice that when people, the people at the day of Pentecost, those 3,000 men that got saved, it said that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Not to their own understanding, not even to their own experience. Now, I'm not saying you can't experience Christ, but your experience is not authoritative in that, now, this is just my testimony. You don't give your testimony, you give Christ's testimony. I don't preach Kevin's testimony. I preach the gospel. Because even though my testimony is true, it's not authoritative and it will not change somebody's heart and life. But when you 
understand everybody in that area believed John to be a prophet. Why did the Pharisees uh, uh, get mad at Jesus when he started talking about uh, how John bore witness of him? They said they picked up stones to stone him, but they didn't for fear of the people because they believed John was a prophet sent from God. And John testified that Jesus was the Christ. Amen? So John's witness to those people in the first century was utterly important. It had to happen. So not only are we seeing the importance of John the Baptist in this story, but we're also seeing the sovereign work of God working out his plan despite what everybody else wanted, despite what anybody else thought that this is the way it ought to go, that nobody expected Jesus to come back and die on the cross at that time. They were looking for a king that would come back and free them from the Romans. But they didn't understand that they were bondage to sin. They were in bondage to sin. They were dead in their trespasses and their sin. Rome was the least of their worries. That's why John didn't come and say, repent for following Rome. He, said, he didn't come and say, let's start an army so we can free you from Rome. John came baptizing and saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. He was preparing the way for the Lord. What is the gospel of Christ? Repent, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and be saved. How do I know that's the gospel? <laughs> Those men on the day of Pentecost said, what must we do to be saved? Now, you can say all you want that, oh, those were all Hebrew people, except for the fact that there was all of them hearing their own language being spoken. So they couldn't have all been Hebrews. There was different languages being spoken from every nation under the, under the sun, okay? All the nations around were coming there. Now, I will grant you that most of them were Jewish-believing people, but there had to have been some Greeks in there. Because we know there were, right? Remember when the Greeks, before Jesus gets crucified, the Greeks come to him and they try to talk to him, right? Just telling you. Now, there's debate whether that's Hellenistic Jewish Greeks. I, I would think, why would they make a distinction between those Jews and any other Jews? In writing the scripture, John doesn't make that distinction in any of his book. So I don't think that was the distinction. I think the distinction is they were Greeks. They were Gentiles. Amen? Now, John's witness is not his own witness. He was witnessing what he was told to witness. Amen? He was preparing the way of the Lord. I want to read a, a, another note, starting here for uh, verse 7 through 8. I noted seven witnesses to Christ that we read in uh, John chapter 5. I want to flip back over here, and I'm going to read the rest of it to you, okay? In John 5, there were five, or seven things, excuse me, 
that witnessed of Christ. And Christ mentioned that witness of him, okay? You flip over here to John chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 31. He says, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another that bears witness of me. I know that his witness, which he witnessed of me, is true. Ye sent unto John, and he bore witness unto the truth. Now, if you keep reading, now we have Jesus' own testimony, John's testimony. But I receive not testimony from man, but these things I say that you may be saved. He was a burning and a shining light, and you were willing to, for a season, rejoice in his life. But I have a greater witness than that of John. The works which the Father has given me, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. So now we have Jesus, John, and the works of Christ, right? That's three things that bear witness of who Jesus is. And the Father himself, which has sent me, has borne witness of me. Now what's he talking about? The Father himself who sent me has borne witness of me. You have to believe that these people who are hearing Jesus talk in chapter 5 were some of the same people that was at his baptism where they heard the voice of God from heaven say, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. These same people had to have seen the dove float on him, the Holy Spirit come down on him like a dove. So they were witnessed to this okay so the father bears witness of him which you have seen in me and have borne witness of me ye had neither have you heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape and ye have not his word abiding in you for whom he has sent ye have believed not search the scriptures for they uh, for in them you seek to have eternal life and you they testify of me. Let me let me read that over. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they that testify of me. So now we have the scriptures testifying of Jesus. We've got Jesus, John, the Father, the works, scripture. That's five, right? Just making sure I'm counting right. I only went to the ninth grade. You gotta help me out. <clears throat> And ye will not come to me, that ye may have life. I have not received honor of men, but I know you, that ye have not the love of God in you. I come in my Father's name, and you have received me not. If another shall come in his own name, you will receive him. How can ye believe which you have honored, excuse me, how can ye believe which receive honor one from another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuses you, even Moses, in whom ye have trusted. For if ye had believed in Moses, you would have believed in me, for he wrote of me. And if you believed not his writings, how shall you believe my words? Now, first, I want to note that John in here only testifies that five things right I said there were seven what's the other two Jesus later on says that the spirit bears witness of him right so we have the father the son and the spirit right we'll read a little note here Jesus spoke of several witnesses 
who testified to him. John the Baptist, his own works, scriptures, particularly what Moses wrote, right? <clears throat> Elsewhere in this gospel, he reference, references made to the witness of Jesus himself. So we have Jesus' witness. That's four, right? The Spirit, that's in chapters 14 through 16, especially chapter 15, verse 26. So now we have five. The witness theme runs through a larger trial motif. This reverses the world's perspective of Jesus being put on trial. It becomes clear that it is really the world and not Jesus that is on trial with a multitude of witnesses bearing testimony that Jesus, uh, to Jesus' true identity as the Messiah. This section also emphasizes the world's guilt for rejecting Jesus. Now, the seventh witness that I was going to mention is me and you. Because later on, he sends us out as witnesses. Amen? So we have Jesus himself. We have John. We have the works of Christ, we have the scriptures, we have the Father, we have the Spirit, and then we have us. Amen? Seven witnesses to the deity of Christ to say Christ is exactly who he said he was. Amen? And we are living in that last age of witnesses. Amen? It began with the apostles and we are devoted to their teaching, to their understanding, and we have our own relationship with the living Christ. Amen? The point that I wanted to make with all this was not just to show you that John in his book is pointing out the deity of Christ, but that John the Baptist came to declare Jesus was the Christ. Amen? Matter of fact, he told his own apostles, you need to stop following me. Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Amen. John's testimony should give you an understanding of what scriptural, biblical, Christian witnessing looks like. I don't point at me. John used the word. He used scripture. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. He said, there's one that comes before me, or the one, one that comes after me is, prefer, is preferred ahead of me because he was before me. John the Baptist said that. John, what's John the Baptist saying when he said that? He's saying, there's one that's coming after me who's greater than I am. He even says, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. He said, and he was before me. What is he talking about? The same thing Jesus says later on in this gospel when he said, before Abraham was, I am. Because John the Baptist, just like John the Apostle, understood that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. Of course, this was a revelation not new to John because John leaped in his mother's womb. When he heard the voice of Mary, he leaped in Elizabeth's womb. He was not the light. John denies being the light in verse 21. Asked if he is Isaiah in John 
121, he says that he is not asked if he's a prophet in John 121. John claims to be the voice. <laughs> something says, uh, something Jesus says is more than a prophet. What do I mean by that? Jesus equates this voice of one crying in a wilderness as greater than a prophet. Let's go look at this uh, verse in Matthew chapter 11. Flip your Bible over to Matthew chapter 11. We need a little context from John, uh, from Matthew about John's understanding here. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 7, I believe, is where we're going to start. Starting at verse 7. And they went away, and Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaking it by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in the king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he who is with, uh, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen no greater than John the Baptist, yet one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffered violence. The violent take it by force. For all the prophets and all the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. Notice who they asked John who he was. They said, are you Isaiah? He said, no. Jesus calls him Elijah. Not Isaiah. Elijah. That's why I asked that trick question earlier, okay? I said, did John call him, or did Jesus call him Isaiah? No, he didn't. He called him Elijah. Amen? Now watch this. I'm going to finish. He said, for all the prophets and all the law prophesied until John, if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. So here we have John coming in the spirit of Elijah, preparing the way of the Lord. We have John being a voice crying in the wilderness who is greater than any other prophet. Amen. And his whole purpose was to declare Jesus was the Christ. But something great was said in there. And I want you to understand that though John knew who Jesus was, John did not officially get to partake of the new covenant. He died before it was consummated. He died before Jesus went to the cross and rose from the dead. John the Baptist died and did not get to consummate, to see the consummation of this gift of eternal life. So when Jesus said that no greater person has ever been but the 
least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. Why? Because now we are partakers of this new covenant that's by grace alone, by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, according to scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. Now, the gospel has been fulfilled. And now, this glorious chapter of Isaiah 40, we know to be about Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, he who created all things. Do you not see the symbolism all through Isaiah where he said, who was it that cast the sea? And who was it that flung the stars into the heavens, right? He's, he's asking these questions, where were you? And we know at the beginning of John, he said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and all things were made by him, and nothing was made without him. John the Baptist declared Jesus Christ was the Son of God. God in the flesh. You can also go to Luke chapter 7 and find the same conversation that we read in Matthew chapter 11. Luke 7 verse 24 and 28 pretty much sums up the same thing we talked about. John's voice still testifies about Jesus being the Messiah. Because as we read the, the, the history of redemption, we cannot leave John the Baptist out. It's so evident that we can't leave him out that it's in every one of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record John's words. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John see John as the one coming and crying in the wilderness. Jesus himself testifies that John was the man sent to prepare the way for the Messiah. But I have a problem. I'm not John and neither are you. And most of the time we were Judas. Most of the time we were Judas because being dead in our trespasses and sin, we did not love God, did not follow God, did not seek God. But all of a sudden, when the light come in, that's the gospel message. Not that you did anything to get to God, but that God found you. Right where you are. And he turned the light on. Amen. Tell me that's not the gospel. Jesus said for judgment I came into the world. That those who cannot see would see. And that those who think they can see will be blinded. That's what happens. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For the son of God did not come into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. Well you go pastor that kind of contradicts itself when you said Jesus coming into the world for judgment. Yes the light judges. Immediately. Why? Because whoever does not believe. Verse 18. Those who believe are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the one and only Son of God. This is the condemnation that comes into the world that light has come into the darkness. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Anyone who does evil hates the light. For fear that their works are exposed. But anyone who does right or does righteousness or sees the light and believes the light 
Do you understand when they're talking about doing, all he's talking about is believing. Those who believe come into the light, willingly expose themselves to the light and say, change me. But those who are not given the light, those who are refusing the light, those who deny and refuse to believe, God's not condemning them. They stand condemned already. Every one of us before we came to Christ stood condemned. Every one of us before God flipped the light on in our heart, in our life, in our mind, and we didn't know God before that, we stood condemned. God is not condemning them any more than he would condemn us. I don't receive condemnation. I'm already in it. I'm already condemned. I stand condemned without Christ. I stand condemned without the blood that we celebrated at communion. I stand condemned without the body that was broken for me. I stand condemned already. That is the condition of every human being outside of Christ. They stand condemned. How do I know this? Well, it's easy. You can go to Romans 1. Romans 1 and verse 20. Let's go there. I want to read this for you. Because we, we, we think that somehow God would be unjust in condemning people. But the reality is, Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Correct? Romans 1 verse 20 says this. <clears throat> Excuse me. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they, who's they? Mankind, are without excuse. I'm going to read it out of the King James because I, I just like it better. Don't put your stones away. <laughs> For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. That is where we stand as humanity. Outside of Christ, we have no excuse before God. We can't say, well, I didn't know because creation and, 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 the, and the, the natural world. Paul is talking about Gentiles in chapter 1, is he not? That's all, Romans chapter 1 deals with the sin of the Gentiles. Romans chapter 2 deals with the sins of the Jews. And then Romans 3, he sums it all up. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No, there's not one righteous. No one does good. No one seeketh after God. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Everybody outside of Christ stands condemned and has no excuse. Gentiles, even though we did not have the law, even though we did not know the law, we still stood condemned because the natural world testifies that there is a God and that there is a way in which man should live. When we talk about honoring our father and mother, do you realize that the Bible makes a case just honestly from a human standpoint that naturally people 
honor their father and mother. In all cultures, it happens. In, you can go to the backwoods countries of Podunk, nowhere, okay? And they still honor father and mother. It happens in every culture. Why? Because naturally, God put that in humanity to do that. And even though there's not a written rule, the natural law says that if you break that, you have sinned. And that's what Paul's dealing with in chapter 1. That we all have no excuse. Even if we don't have the law. Even if they live out in the middle of nowhere. There's no excuse. The gospel is that. That all of us were in danger of hell. But the light came into the world. And this is the light that John testifies of. Romans 1.21 tells us that the general knowledge of God is available to all, which leaves all humanity without excuse before God. In this we see a glimpse of God's common grace being extended by the light, though, though not all will receive it. And I quoted John 3.16-21, John 8 and 12, John 9 and 39. Let's go to John 8 and 38, or 8 and 12, excuse me. John 8 and 12. I already quoted John 3, 16 through 21. We already, we already dealt with that. Let's go to John 8 and 12. John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whosoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Notice that the light brings life. Remember verse 2? I think it was verse 2 in uh, John Let's look back. Uh, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him not anything was made that was made. Verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of how many men? All men. Amen? Wow. Those who believe walk in the light and have life. And those who reject remain in darkness. They're not thrown into darkness. They're already there. Amen? We got to get this misconception out of our mind that people live in this middle plane of, oh, just so-so. There's no middle ground. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. There ain't no middle ground. There ain't no, oh, kind of, these are kind of good sinners. These are really bad sinners. You, you understand that a lie will send you to hell just like murder. That's hard, ain't it? Adultery will send you to hell just like homosexuality. Idolatry, putting anything above God, sends you to hell. Aren't you glad we're not bound to the law in that way? Aren't you glad it's grace that saves me? You realize what a blessing it is then that the light comes on in anybody's heart. The question isn't why God saves some and why God doesn't save others. The question is why does God save anyone at all? Because we all deserve death. Verse 10, he came to the world, 
And he was, even though he made the world, the world did not know him. He came to his own, and they did not receive him. Got one more verse that I want to read, or a note that I want to read, excuse me. In talking about his own. His own refers to the Jewish people, the recipients of God's covenant. The law and promise, the promises of the Messiah, Romans 9 and 4. The Messiah's rejection by the Jews despite convincing proofs of his Messiahship, i.e., especially his miracles, is a major subject in the first half of John's gospel. So here John is already hinting at the fact that the Jewish people are rejecting Christ. But this part of John where it's talking about he came to his own and his own did not receive him is not only talking about the Jewish people, but the whole world. If you look at the grammar of the Greek at the beginning of this, you'll notice that it could be either way. He could be talking about the whole world rejecting him or, you know, his own people because he was made in the image of sinful man now, right? Right? Jesus put on flesh, so he's, he, he's kinsman with us in the flesh, right? So coming to his own could be mankind and not just the Hebrew people. And I would guess that it's not just the Hebrew people that rejected him because even today as we preach the gospel, it is a vast majority of the world that rejects Jesus Christ. Pastor, that ain't true, is it not? I know there's a statistic out there that said that, that, that uh, a third of the world is Christian. A third of the world profess Christianity. I could profess to be an MMA fighter, but you guys would know the truth. And Mike witnessed it on his own that I'm not. <laughs> Amen. So we got to understand of those one third that claim to be Christians, are they all really, truly converted, born again, regenerate people? Only God knows. But even if we're going by the math of one third, that leaves two thirds of the world that rejects Christ. And you tell me. And you tell me that the world isn't rejecting Christ. No, the world does reject Christ. Jesus said they would. He said, they hated me, they'll hate you. They rejected me, they're going to reject you. They're going to take you and flog you and beat you and crucify you and kill you, right? Nobody said anyone who wants to live godly, Paul says, anyone who wants to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. What does it mean to live godly in Christ Jesus? It doesn't mean simply believe. It means to live a life that actually wants to try to follow Christ. Because a lot of people say, I believe, and there'll be a lot of people that say, oh, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this and didn't I do that? Didn't I show up for church every Sunday? Didn't I go to Bible study? Didn't I do this? None of that stuff will save you. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, according to Scripture alone. Not your testimony, not their testimony. Testimonies are great, but they will not save anybody. The word of God brings faith. Faith is what will save. Amen. And a faith 
that is absolutely changing people is the only kind of saving faith. So God's grace is given, faith is born, and faith is exhibited. That's how it works. God gives his grace, which produces faith, which then produces a changed life. That's salvation. And it starts with God. Every time. Not one time does it start with person. It starts with God. I challenge anybody. I've challenged people before, and I'm challenging people on Facebook. I challenge you to just think out the logic that you chose God before he chose you. Just think that logic out. Then salvation didn't come from God. It came from you. And I'm sorry. You can't save you. Amen? You can't save you. I want to close. But as I do, I want to tell you that as I preached this message this morning, I certainly wanted to preach another message and I posted it on Facebook, and if you have Facebook, I encourage you to go and watch the Steve Lawson video that I posted where he's asked a simple question, what is the gospel? And quite simply, the gospel is Jesus Christ. What he did. The gospel is that we're all lost, dying sinners that need God's help, God's forgiveness, God's grace. And Jesus came to give us life. And if anybody that hears his voice turns to him and responds in faith, the Bible says they'll be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That verse is absolutely true. Do you realize that even election doesn't mess with that? Election doesn't mess with that because the only people that's going to respond are people who were elected. <laughs> if you believe that way. Right? And you can't argue with that because the only people who will be saved are those who respond. Those who don't respond will not be saved. That's absolute fact. Those who do not respond will not be saved. You can put the faith in you that you're doing it, or you can put it where it needs to be, that God is the author of salvation. And that God being the author of salvation gives God the glory and not me. Amen? Stand to your feet and let's pray. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, for your grace. Lord, I thank you for your loving kindness that is new every morning. Lord, we ask that you would be with us today as we go and enjoy a fellowship dinner, Lord. But I pray that this message would resound in our hearts and our minds, God, that we would truly, deeply, committedly understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we would follow it. That we would follow you. Lord, we pray that you would bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies, our bodies for your service. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.